0: Is the title of our new series. That wasn't me singing, by the way. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Jeanette. Um, we want to talk about Christianity 101. You know, I love that song. I don't know if I've ever heard that last song. It reminded me of a patriotic song in the U.S. But um, you know, we're called to be the light. We're called to be hope bringers, we're called um, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. But if we don't have a good foundation, we'll not share that good news, or we'll be intimidated by others that may know more than us. And so I wanna talk about basic instructions before we leave this earth. Now that's an acronym for Bible. If you didn't fi- figure that out, and it's by a Christian group called Burlap to Cashmere. Uh, you can Google them. I personally like them. Um, they got some good songs, but they're old school. All right, they're not like Hillsong United. They're they're old old school. So for some of you olders, you may may like it. Some of you young youngins, you may not like it. But we want to lay, in the next seven weeks, a foundation. It's not the only thing in your foundation, but these are the important things in understanding Christianity. These are the things that we base our life on, not opinions, but convictions that hold us in this season we're in. I was blown away by the example, having everybody sat down today and who's been affected and how it's affected you. And one by one, almost our whole congregation stood up. And so how do we navigate a pandemic? How do we navigate an economy that collapses? How do we walk forward? I'm having some feedback here. Can you turn me down a little bit? I'm echoing, is it just me? Okay. It's like, hello, hello, hello. (laughs) So we wanna be able to have a foundation, not that they haven't been difficult, nor they've been stressful and challenging, but how do you navigate and how do you go through in the midst of this craziness in this world? Well, you have to have a foundation, a foundation that's built on sand and opinions. When the, the storms of life hit, when the obstacles come our way, our house crashes. But if we have the foundation that's built upon Christ, when the storms come, when the rains hit, when the trauma happens, we're still standing. So we're going to be looking at different topics. Today I want to talk about the character of Christ. Next week, the claims of Christ. We're looking at, we'll be looking at sin and the consequences of sin. What were the consequences? Because you and I were affected by that you and i have sinned we've fallen short the resurrection if jesus was a lunatic liar and he made all this up then what the heck are we doing here today if it's all a myth if it's all a fable then why are we doing what we're doing just to live a good moral life just so we can check a box But if the resurrection is true, then we have some serious decisions to make in our life. We have to make the decision, am I going to be a follower of Christ and die to self and say no to the world and all that it offers us to follow him? And so we're going to be laying some foundational things, and for some of you, this is elementary school but for some of you this will be revelation and it'll be a way to help solidify your foundation so that when you are faced with the enemy and he's tempting you you say it is written you stand on god's word and the leading of his holy spirit that dwells in us and leads us and counsels us and guides us and we make a stand in this day pandemic or no pandemic because god's word is true and all of christianity is summed up in a man and that's jesus if you take jesus out of christianity you have no Christianity. And I've said this many times, but do you understand that the world will let you talk about God all day long? You can sit and talk and grab and hug and say, yeah, God is good, and yet the Muslim is referring to Allah, you're referring to the Lord God, Jehovah, and others referring to another god but as long as we're talking about god it's kumbaya the world is one but when you bring this one man into the conversation and that one man's name is jesus people fight against one another nations war against one another because this man made these claims and his character was perfect. And he said, the only way you're going to get to my daddy is through me. I am the gate. I am the resurrection and I am the life. And when you say that the only way you can get to heaven is through Jesus, that's when wars begin. But if you are not solidified on your conviction of who Jesus is, you will go the way of the world, you will have opinions, and opinions will never hold you in the storm. It is your conviction based on God's word, who he is, who he says he is, and what he did, that he was buried, that he defeated death, grave, and hell, and he sits at the right hand of God. So if that's true, then we better base our whole life on that. We better not try to do mixture where we put a little bit of the world and a little bit of Christianity. But as it says, that we will take up our cross We will die to self and we will follow him. So today is about the character of Christ. I found this quote. Napoleon Bonaparte Bonaparte said this, Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires, but on what did we rest the creation of this Genesis? It was upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. Jesus' empire, his kingdom, is so opposite of the world. And it was founded upon love. When the worlds and the nations fight against one another, Jesus comes and says, I'm going to do it differently. I'm gonna found this kingdom on love because my Father is love. Even if we say that Jesus is the greatest person that ever walked on the earth, and he was, and that he was the most righteous person, and he was, and that even if we say we're gonna compare him to Bonaparte and Caesar and Alexander We can't do that because it's not apples to apples. Jesus was unique in the fact that he was God. That his birth was supernatural. Now the world tries to explain it away. They try to get you to doubt. But Mary was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Now the world scoffs and mocks that. They laugh at it. But yet we know based on God's word, based on what the Holy Spirit has done in our lives, that this is true, that he is who he said he is. Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except Christ, except God alone. That's it, that's it exactly. We have all fallen short, but in the essence of who Jesus is, it was the goodness of the Father. Now think about this last week, all your mess-ups. Would anybody like to give a testimony? All our mess-up, all our thought lives, maybe things that we said to someone else, someone, something else we did The anger maybe we've had, the hatred towards someone, the unforgiveness. We are a mixture of sin in our life. But Jesus comes and he was the essence of God's goodness. There was no evil in him. Can you imagine that? Even as you're a pastor, there's evil in me. I'm not telling you today. You have to come back next week (laughs) and bring a large offering. But here was this absolute goodness of God in him that he couldn't even be tempted by evil and it was good in every way you see we were born with an infection in our nature it's everybody every one of us has this infection and it's called the sin nature no one is righteous no one not one everyone has done evil every one of us and you can say well i'm a good person i'm a moral person that doesn't cut it we are still not good we have this sin nature but jesus was without sin listen this is christianity 101 jesus was sinless if you do not build that foundation upon that your house is going to crumble he was sinless but he he was human but it wasn't like our humanity his humanity was supernatural Philippians says who being God did not count equality to with God something to be held on to or grasped onto to cling on to what is it saying it's saying he was God and he didn't hold on to being God he let it go and he said father not my will but your will be done and he came to earth and he became obedient as a man unto death he was supernatural That's what sets him apart from you and I. We are natural. We're natural in our mankind. But Jesus was super natural, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Perfect. Can you imagine that? 33 and a half years, he never sinned. How many of you sinned this morning coming here? Don't raise your hands. We already blown it. We blew it yesterday, 33 and a half years, Jesus lived a perfect life. So we wanna look at three things today. Number one, let's look at what Christ himself thought about himself, and then we're gonna look at what his disciples, the apostles said, and then we're gonna look at what the enemies conceded about Jesus and his character on one or two occasions jesus stated that he was without sin in john chapter 8 later you can look this up you know the story jesus is there with disciples and they brought the religious people the pharisees sadducees brought a woman that was caught in the very act of adultery to him and said jesus this woman was caught in the act of adultery uh, you know, our scripture says she needs to be stoned. Well, you know what Jesus said. Jesus said he who was without sin cast the first stone. The rest of the story from the old to the young, they dropped their rocks and they left. Later on in chapter 8, verse 46, Jesus says something to them. This time he's asking them a question about himself. The first time he's asking them a question about their selves do they think they're so righteous and holy do they think they're without sin that's why they dropped their rocks and then in verse 46 he says this to them can any of you prove me guilty of sin now that's an open invitation If I gave that invitation today, can any of you prove that I sin? Maybe none of you can, but there's a lady over to my right that can give plenty of testimony of my sinfulness. But when he asked that question, they didn't answer. No one could answer him because his character was impeccable. His morality, his purity. And so they slipped away earlier in chapter 8 when he accused them, and then later he reverses the role and says, okay, is there anything in me you see that's sin? And they couldn't answer him. Jesus placed by his teaching his moral character. No one ever has been as moral as Jesus. He set the standard, he set the bar for all of us, but yet it is only through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we can even walk this way. One of the stories, if you'll remember in Luke chapter 18, it was, remember the Pharisee and a tax collector Tax collectors were looked down as low life. They were scum of the earth. They uh, would bribe, steal, you know, take money. They were not looked upon well. Both of these guys go to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee gets up. And he says, I thank God that I'm not like this guy. I thank you that I fast, that I pray, that I give, that I do all these things. And it was all an external sign of really the shallowness of his heart. But you remember the tax collector, what he did? He wouldn't even look up because he knew the reality of his brokenness. He knew the reality of his sin and all he would do is just beat his chest and the moral character of jesus would never ever have walked in the place of the pharisee even though he was called rabbi even though he was esteemed as one who taught with authority and power He never drew attention to himself. He never felt like he needed to be at the center. But yet he humbly served those that were around him. He walked what he talked. I found some metaphors to help us understand. Everyone else was a lost sheep but he had come as a good shepherd to seek and to save them. Everyone was sick with the disease of sin, but he was the doctor that would come to heal them. Everyone was trapped in the darkness of sin and ignorance. He was the light of the world. Everyone else was a sinner. He was born to be the savior and would take away the sins of the world. Everyone was hungry, but he was the bread of life. Everyone was dead in wrongdoing and sin, but he could be their life now and the resurrection in the future. All of these metaphors that I've just shared with you express the moral uniqueness of our Savior Jesus, which he was very conscious of his morality. He was conscious that he was come, he had come into the world to save the world. Not only was his moral uniqueness unique, so was his purity. This morning I had a bowl of cereal and when I poured the milk in, I was just looking at the milk, it's pure at least by the naked eye. It's white, pure, no mixture, nothing in there. It's been pasteurized. It's been treated, all these things. But when Jesus came into this earth, he wasn't pasteurized. He was pure when he came into the world. And we are an impure people. And we shouldn't even act pious and religious and that we got it all together because we don't. We fall short, we miss the mark, but he was pure in every way. I don't know if you found this to be true. I think it's interesting when I was thinking about the Pharisees and Sadducees. Here they were, they were perceived to be the most religious people. They had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. That's a lot. That's a lot of scriptures. What is Genesis? 50 chapters? That's a lot of verses. But they had the first five books, the Torah of the law. They had it memorized. They would have these things on their head, which I, I think it would be kind of funny if you know our church had phylactery day, where we put these boxes and they would have scriptures in them. And they would walk around, you know, with these scriptures. And even, listen to this, even when they were walking, if there was a lady walking their way, they wouldn't even look at her. <laughs> That's some weird dudes. <laughs> I wouldn't even look at them. You know why they were called the bruised and bleeding Pharisees? Is because while they were looking away, they hit the post. I don't know if that's true, I don't know if that's true. But here they were, on the outside, they had it all seamed together, but Jesus comes and he says, you're whitewashed tombs. You're white on the outside, but you have dead men's bones on the inside. And I don't know about you, But as we strive to grow closer to the Lord, doesn't it seem that as we are walking closer to Him, the revelation of our sinfulness becomes evident? My selfishness, my pride, my arrogance, but yet the Lord wants us to draw near so he can purify those areas in our lives. Jesus knew no sin, but he became sin for us. He was without sin, but in all points, he was tempted as we were. Now think about this, and we'll look at that scripture in Hebrews He was tempted with your sins. Brian, what are your sins? I'm just kidding, don't tell me. I know them, the Lord showed me this morning. (laughs) All of our sins. Was he tempted to lie? Was he tempted to lust? Was he tempted to slander? Yes because every one of us are tempted in those areas. But yet he was without sin, and because of his moral character and his purity, he stayed the course for you and I. That's what's amazing. It wasn't just so he could say he did it, it was for you and I so that we could be set free. Secondly, What did Christ's disciples and his friends, what did they say about what Jesus said about his character? Were they in agreement with it? Did they say, yeah, this is it? Yeah, we agree or we totally disagree. It's it's very evident as you read scripture, Jesus believed that he was sinless. That he was the savior the messiah of the world it wasn't just an opinion with him it was his conviction but let's just say this maybe jesus got it wrong maybe maybe jesus got it all wrong he's the only one and maybe he just wasn't seeing things clearly But the thing that will help us in laying this foundation is seeing what others said about him that were close to him and even his enemies. So we need to ask those disciples, we need to see what do they say about Jesus himself. First of all, they were in close contact with Jesus for three and a half years. Now think about this. Peter and Andrew are fishing, he says, come follow me. They leave their nets in the boats and they go follow him. Matthew, a tax collector, he says, come follow me. And they leave and they follow Jesus. So for three and a half years, they didn't have just once a month meetings. Every day they traveled together, they slept together, they ate together, They even had a common treasury. You know who the treasurer was? It's Judas. Isn't that interesting? But they were with him day and night. They saw the hypocrisy of the religious people. They saw the hypocrisy, if you would, the church of that day. And they saw how Jesus responded to them. I don't know about you, but whenever you read those encounters of Jesus and the Pharisees, doesn't that just a little bit tick you off? Maybe I'm the only one It just ticks me off, it makes me mad. I want to tell those Pharisees and Sadducees off, but then I realize I'm just like them. So I'd be telling myself off. But Jesus wasn't like that, but they were close together. Now think about this too. Most of the disciples, those 12, were teenagers. They were teenagers. They weren't in their 30s or upper 20s. They were teenagers. So there is a great chance that they weren't very mature. You ever been around teenagers? They do some pretty immature stuff. a matter of fact, they would quarrel. They would say, well, you know what? I'm, I'm going to be at the right hand of God. I'm going to be at the right hand of Jesus. You know what? I'm Jesus' favorite. You know, immature stuff. Then they would poke one another. Stop poking me. Then the other would poke. And then they would go on and on. They were immature. So Jesus is spending this time with them, I'm sure they tested his patience, but they saw him up close, and they were with him. Two of the chief witnesses, there was an inner circle of the twelve, Peter, James, and John. In Matthew 17 is the transfiguration. So Peter and John are with him, and all of a sudden, they see Jesus the way we'll see him. In his glorified state can you imagine that brighter than the Sun when you look at the Sun and it hurts your eyes the brilliance and the brightness and the glory of Jesus they saw it and then in the Garden of Gethsemane Jesus says to Peter James and John come on come with me and they went a little bit further and they saw the anguish they saw what Jesus was going through but they were sleepy, they fell asleep. But these guys saw some intimate things with Jesus. So if he was faking it, you can only fake it so long. You can only act holy so long, and at some point in time, we will trip up, and we will fall. And they were with him. Secondly, The apostles what they say about can be trusted because they were Jews now think about this because since childhood they were taught the Torah they were taught the law poetry the prophets they knew what God's Word said and one of the Old Testament doctrines which had surely been taught was the character of human sin. In Psalms 14, 1 through three, it says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. Verse three, all have turned away all have become corrupt there is no one who does good not even one and then isaiah 53 6 says all have turned away all have become corrupt there is no one who does good not even one and in light of this teaching of the old testament the idea that someone Someone could be without sin is not one which would have been able to easily dismiss. So they were aware of the scripture and what it said. Thirdly, and I hadn't thought about this, but the disciples on the sinlessness of Christ is all the more incredible because it was more of something that was indirect and direct talking to them. Because when Jesus walked by, he said, follow me, follow me, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And they began to follow him. They remember they were teenagers. They had this mindset that they were going with Jesus and they were going to set up a military kingdom and they were going to rule and reign. Jesus' sinfulness is not the reason why they began to follow him and search it out. It was already or began to be assumed and realized that Jesus was perfect. Peter says this, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. In 1 Peter 2, it says, He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in His mouth. John says this in 1 John, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful, and just then will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, he's talking about us here, but in chapter three of 1 John, verse five, he says, "'But you know that he appeared, "'he appeared as Jesus, "'so that he might take away our sins And in him is no sin the Apostle Paul says in 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 God made him who's him Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God Hebrews chapter 7 verse 26 and 27 the writer says this such a high priest meets our needs talking about Jesus, one who's holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for the sins once for all when he offered himself. And then Hebrews 4.15, it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. What do the disciples and those around him say about his character, his morality, his purity? He was without sin. This is foundational in your Christianity you go to a secular university they will get you to disbelieve what God's Word says to disbelieve what Jesus has said and who he is and then lastly what what did Christ's enemies enemies concede if you'll read the Gospels his enemies which were the religious people they weren't the sinners They were the religious people were always looking to trick him, to trap him, to ask him a question to get him so they could trip him up. They were constantly watching him, analyzing every move he made, every word he said, constantly with the purpose not to learn, not to draw nearer to God, but to trip him up. And in Mark's gospel, chapter 2, verse 1 to chapter 3, verse 6, we're not going to read those, but they give four, Mark gives four things or four accusations that the religious people made against Jesus. Number one, they accused him of blasphemy. They accused him of how can you forgive a man's sin? How can you say that you are God, you are blaspheming. And so they would attack him in this area. How can you forgive that sin? Only God can forgive sin. Jesus, uh uh-huh, you're getting it. That's because I'm God. Number two, which by the way, if Jesus was divine, it would be purely natural for him to heal people and forgive them their sins. Number two, they were horrified. They hated his evil associations. Now think about this. First time I ever went to India, um, they have caste systems. In Kenya, we don't call them caste systems, but we have classes. And this class would never approach this class. And this class would never go down to talk to this class. But here's Jesus, he comes, he goes, yeah, hey, I'm going to your house today to have some lunch. And he was a tax collector. He was a sinner, the Bible says. Prostitutes approached him this in the eyes of the religious people oh my gosh but remember this jesus moral character and his purity those people those kinds of people could approach him because he had the goodness of god we have sin nature and the religious people it drove them crazy when he would be around these sinners. And see, here's the thing. You may be able to go into the bar, but does the bar come into you? You may be able to go on the streets, but then after a while, do you start acting like the streets? Jesus met with them, and they didn't change him. He changed them. And see, we want to justify our sin. Oh yeah, I can go in there. But our agendas, our morals, our purity is stained by sin. That's why he could go around these people because his heart was pure. His character, his morality. He wasn't looking for a shady deal. He was looking to set people free. Number three, that is religion was frivolous. <laughs> I, I personally love this. I have a tendency to be kind of rebellious, all right? So that's the sin I'll confess today. I'm not a big proponent of religion and protocol. Sorry Kenyans, I'm not a big proponent on protocol because a lot of times it's wrapped up in religiosity. Do I get it, amen? Jesus comes and they accuse him, ah, you don't even fast. Now I know some of you come out of churches where if you didn't fast, you were going to hell. And it became a religion became something religious instead of a relationship. I believe in fasting, I fast, that's not the point. They said, you don't even fast. And worst of all, you don't even wash your hands. Now this was (laughs) pre-COVID. You don't even wash your hands because they would wash their hands all the time and you don't even pray before meals. Oh, heaven forbid. But see, whom the truth, how we know the truth, and the knowing the truth that sets us free from religion, to allow us to walk in a relationship. And so they accuse them. Well, you're not religious, but it was all based on what? The externals. Remember this little dude that was a shepherd boy? He had a bunch of brothers that were beef hunks, had bulging muscles and they passed by, no, that's not him, that's not him, that's not him. And then this scrawny little shepherd boy comes and he said, that's the next king. That's the next king of the kingdom, and it says in 1 Samuel 16, 7, God does not look on the outside, but he looks at the heart. And then the last thing, they were incensed by a Sabbath breaking. He actually healed a guy that had a withered hand on, on a Sabbath. Can you imagine doing good on the Sabbath? And the religious people would get angry. His disciples were walking through a cornfield and they're picking the corn and they're eating on a Sabbath. <gasps> Atrocities, oh, scandalous. But do you see all these accusation? They're trivial. They don't mean anything, and they couldn't handle it. And they even, when they came before Pilate, they couldn't find anything on Jesus, so they had to hire false witnesses. They had to hire someone to trump up some bogus charges on him. In fact, the charges they came up with against him were not moral charges. They were political. I guess Jesus was the first one who wasn't politically correct. And maybe we need to follow in his steps. The worship team would come up You know, Pilate, they brought him before Pilate and Pilate tried to dismiss him. And finally he does the act where he washes his hands and he says, I'm innocent of this man, the blood of this man. Judas, after he betrayed Jesus, went back and threw the money in the temple and he said this, I have sinned for I have betrayed innocent blood the thief on the cross said to the other thief he said this man has done nothing wrong the centurion at the foot of the cross said surely this was a righteous man I want to close with this Jesus was unselfish his character was immaculate, spotless, but he was selfless. He was unselfish. And some ways in studying this, this really struck me a lot. Although he clearly believed that he was divine, that he was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah, that he was sinless, He didn't put on airs. He didn't think of himself more highly than he ought to. He was never pompous, prideful, arrogant, insisting on his own way. There was no hint of self-importance about himself. He was humble. That's why this foundation built on Jesus will last all eternity. He wasn't a king even though he was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He didn't have a scepter. He didn't look for the position on the front row, look for people to carry his luggage for him. He came and he was born in a stable. Jesus knew that he was Lord of all yet he became a servant he said that someday he would judge the world yet the night before he was betrayed he washed his disciples feet the utter disregard for self in the service of his father and you and I is what the Bible calls love. The world was looking at God's goodness when they saw Jesus. The world was looking at God's love when he walked from Jerusalem to Capernaum. Jesus was sinless because he was selfless. It was that selflessness that he hung on the cross when he could have called 10,000 legions of angels to come and rescue him. Such selflessness is love, and God is love.